Go to Mark chapter one and let's read verse one. How many verses do you guys think we're gonna get through today? Have you read the gospel of Mark? The gospel of Mark was written by a man named Mark. There will be no test at the end, but you're ready if there is. He had a surname, John, and so in the scriptures, he's also known as John Mark. Many times they would have two names in that region and in that century because there was the Jewish world and then there was the up-and-coming Roman Greek world. And so they had to kind of interact with both camps. And so his name was John Mark. And we're calling him Mark in this portion because it's the gospel according to Mark. Now it says that at the top, they decided to title it that. But you'll notice he doesn't introduce himself in his writing. Some of the epistles, Paul will say, it's me, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and he'll tell us who he is. Peter will also tell us who he is. Read verse one with me. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Stop right there, eyes up here. Mark could and should and would and possibly even said, hey, it's me, Marco, Bolo, it's me right here. I'm gonna write now the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he draws no attention to himself. I'm so encouraged by that. Did you know that the gospel of Mark, most scholars believe, is the very first gospel penned? There's Matthew, there's Mark, and there's Luke, and there's John. Most believe, though, that Mark was the first one. That evidently, somewhere along the journey in Mark's life, he was so impacted by Jesus Christ, he's like, dude, is anybody going to write this down? This is crazy. And they speculate it was right around the year 50 or 55, possibly as late as 60, which is pretty early in the first century, where he wrote this gospel. And if you're studying or paying attention or care to make contrasts and comparisons with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why in the world are there four gospels? Can you imagine if you were reading a normal book and you got done with chapter one and chapter two was a revision of chapter one? And then chapter three was like, let's just do chapter one again, but I'm going to say a little different, you know? It's like, what? And then chapter four, like, we're going to do chapter one again, but I'm going to say it different. I love it. That the New Testament begins with the story of Jesus in Matthew. And then if that's not good enough, they're like, well, let's do it again. And then it's in Mark, and then it's in Luke, and then it's in John. And I like to imagine that when the gospel writers read Mark's account, they're like, Mark, that was so legit, so good. That somewhere along the lines, Matthew's like, led by the Holy Spirit, I think I should write it too. Not to correct you or to contrast you, but there's so much about Jesus. It's so deep. And so Matthew then penned his letter, 28 chapters, so deep. The de- oh, this song, I hope this encourages you, the depths of Jesus. And if you're here this morning at the 8 a.m. service, you know this. You know you're fired up about Jesus. You know there's more to score in the scriptures. There's more to learn. And I don't ever want to go to a dead church or become a dead, lukewarm Christian. It's like, I've read all that. I'm not even sure if there's any more to read. No, there's more And Matthew writes his. And then after Matthew, Luke comes along. And he's a doctor. He's a scholar. He's a historian. He's like, guys, those books are so encouraging. I got this weird itch. I think I want to go on a three-year tour and do eyewitnesses with all the people. And I want to write my boss, Theophilus, a true account going alongside of yours. They have even more stuff. And the Holy Spirit led him to do that. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And then finally, John comes along. And John says, you know what? I was Jesus' best friend. And when I read your guys' letters, oh, it strikes up so many memories. So much heart 
I'm going to write mine as well. Did you know that all four gospel writers had a different target audience in mind? This is kind of scholastic. It's not that important, but it is kind of interesting. Matthew wrote his after Mark wrote his, and Mark wrote his to the Romans. As a matter of fact, he wrote it to the Roman Gentile believers. Because Mark saw that when Jesus came, it wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for everybody. And the Jews were getting saved, and so were the Romans. And he said, I'm going to make sure they know this story. It's written to Gentiles and to Romans. Now, let me ask you a question here. How many Roman citizens do we have here this morning? Anybody? Maybe the next service. Anyway, how many Gentile believers do we have here this morning? Oh, yeah, that's you guys. He wrote this for y'all. That you might know who Jesus is according to the gospel of Mark. Now, Matthew, when he wrote his after Mark, he looked at Mark. He's like, Mark, this is crazy. I did notice that in your entire book, 16 chapters, you only quoted the Old Testament twice. And it's in chapter one, verses two and three. You only referenced the Old Testament. Why did you do that? It's like, oh, I wasn't writing to people that knew the Bible. I was writing to the Gentiles and the Romans. They don't care about Moses and Abraham and genealogies. And Matthew said, oh, that's so cool. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a letter, the book of Matthew, to the Jews, that they would know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he goes into great lengths to quote dozens and dozens and dozens of Old Testament verses and genealogies, things that would be near and dear to the Jews, but the Gentiles wouldn't really care about, they wouldn't understand. Luke comes on the scene, and he too has a different target audience. It's the Greeks, not just the Romans, but the Greeks. And he wanted to portray Jesus as a man and God, because sometimes there was a confusion if he was a man or if he was God, and Luke said he's the God-man. And then when John finally wrote his gospel, his target audience, John not to be outdone, John was a competitive man. John, when he beat Peter to the tomb, kind of let everyone know, like, I got there first, no big deal, you know. I do have a selfie, and Peter was breathing pretty hard. But anyways, John, when he wrote his epistle, John, he wrote it to the whole world. Isn't that awesome? In the Gospels, and here's the deal about the Gospels. I want us to get excited about the Gospels. We went through the book of John back in 2013 at South Beach Church. I looked up one of the YouTube teachings, and man, that guy who was teaching then, his beard was very, very dark, Get that guy back. Where'd that guy go? And we went through John in 2013 and a couple other books in between. And then we jumped into the book of Luke in 2016. And we spent two and a half years in Luke. And now in 2024, we're in the gospel of Mark because the gospel is so powerful. And I've been enjoying the Old Testament. We just went through Joshua and Judges and Ruth. And before that, we were in the prison epistles with Paul and all the letters he wrote. And I'm excited right now. I just felt the Lord saying, hey, we're in the Foursquare Church, kind of a new deal. We'll be here for about a year or so, give or take. I don't know. So get into the gospel. Mark is an action-packed, fast-paced recollection of the life of Jesus. It's more focused on the deeds rather than the words of Jesus. Some of the gospels have all of Jesus' teachings and many, many red letters and parable upon parable, not Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is fast. It's kind of like a Rambo movie, like Rambo 3 almost, you know, just like getting after it, one scene after another. As a matter of fact, the word immediately is mentioned in the book of Mark in 16 chapters 41 times. So as Mark says, and immediately we got in the boat, and immediately we ran over here, and immediately Jesus healed that guy, and immediately Jesus fought that person, and immediately, it's just, he goes on and on and on. And Mark, that's why we're going to have to drink a lot of Red Bull before our services. <laughs> but here's the deal about the gospel. I read verse one, by the way. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a declaration. The gospel, you know, means the good news. It's a declaration. It's affirmed. It's done. It's history. It's a story that's already been printed. As opposed to and in contrast to good advice, good inspiration, good ideas. You can get good advice, good inspiration, and good ideas on Pinterest all day long. Go ahead and try it. All kinds of ways to inspire you to do better and try harder and and covet that person. The gospel is not about ideas and interesting things and inspiration. The gospel is a declaration that Jesus has already done it. Earlier today, I think it was, I can't remember who it was. Somebody asked me what my tattoo was, Shauna. Shauna said, what does that say on your arm there? What is that there? And she didn't say it that way. She said, what's that say on your arm right there? You know, and there's that tattoo. And I said, oh yeah, that's a tattoo right there. And that tattoo says, te telestai. It's in Hebrew, so it's actually pronounced different. Te telestai is Aramaic. And it's what Jesus cried out on the cross, the sixth thing he said when he was dying and paying for the sins of the world, pronouncing good news. Te telestai, which means this, it's done. Paid in full. I was working out at a gym in Corvallis last summer, and this kid from Utah was there working out, and he looked at my arm. He says, hey, is that Hebrew? I said, yeah. And he said, can I translate? I said, go ahead. And he translated it, and he had to look it up, and he, he's Hebrew, he's Jewish, and he said, it says, paid in full. I said, that's exactly what it says. My debt, your debt, our debts, paid in full. Is that good news for you? Ah, good news. It's the good news. And we forget this sometimes because we're religious We're still sinful, we still accrue debts, we still spend sillily in the spirit. No, now what am I gonna do? Hey, do you know the good news? It's paid in full. The handwriting of requirements that's written against you has been blotted out. Colossians chapter two tells you and me. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this, and I quote, the truth of the gospel is the imperative article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continuously. The truth of the gospel is the most imperative Christian article. Most necessary is it that we know it well. Well, Know what well? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do you think there's four of them here? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we would not miss it. So we wouldn't forget it. Because the gospel changes everything for you. It changes everything for me. It changes everything for the world around us. And I just love that truth because you're planted here. Maybe if you live here, I live here in Lincoln County. What does Lincoln County need? They need good news. This is what I need, good news. He is for you, not against you. He will finish the work he began in you. He will write your last chapter. Do the next right thing. Trust the process. Whose process? His process. And as we find ourselves fighting opposition, obstacles, and deals, maybe you too should get tattooed somewhere on your body, or at least write it down somewhere. Tay to lest I, it's finished. Let's keep reading. Look at this, though, verse one again. How many verses are we getting through today? We got to hustle. Got to hustle. <laughs> got to hustle. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, all of the gospel writers have some variation of the beginning. Mark here skips all of the beginning of Jesus' birth, the genealogy. There's no Mary, there's no Joseph, there's no stables, there's no mangers, there's no angels, none of that's going down. Instead, Mark just fast tracks to the day that Jesus was baptized by his older cousin, John the baptizer. That's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus or the ministry. And I love how it says it's the beginning. 
It's the same words that John would use in the book of Revelation when he talks about the beginning of all the things Jesus began to do. And here we are now 2,000 years later at the beginning of what Jesus began to do. 2,000 years later. Did you know that the gospel keeps getting better and better and better and better and better? Here we are 2,000 years later gathered in an auditorium, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock. We're going to be here all day talking about what Jesus began to do 2,000 years ago. Let me say something offensive. You can just kind of think it through later. 100 years from now, no one is going to be talking about you. No one. Maybe like, maybe a granddaughter, you know, you know, whatever. Maybe somebody will look it up and accidentally mention your name. I mean, it's going to be an accident. No one's going to be listening. It'll never happen again. 100 years from now, it's, even if you're great, even if you do something, you begin, you're done, you're out of here. In 100 years, it'll be 2,124, okay? You're done. But here, Jesus, 2,000 years later, I told you guys to come an hour early to church and you didn't even miss a beat. You guys showed up, you're fired up. Because Jesus changes everything. And it's so wild. For him to go on record and say, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the what? The son of God. Hey, Mark, they're going to kill you if you say stuff like that. You can't be just calling people the son of God. You're a Jew. What are you doing, bro? He's the son of God. And I hope we get there today. I don't know if we're going to. But in chapter one here, Mark gives us four witnesses, strong witnesses of the authority and of the deity of Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the first one, by the way. He goes on record and he just declares he's the son of God. He is God. Jesus is God. Many people today have a high view of Jesus. They respect him. They would not elevate him to the point of being God though. And this is a huge mistake. You must elevate him to the point of being God. He is God. God the son. Not only does he give that witness, but he's gonna quote two verses in just a minute of the Old Testament talking about his arrival. And so he cites the Old Testament saying, they know he's God also. And the third witness, and not only himself, but the scriptures, is J the B. The cousin of Jesus is also gonna testify that it's Jesus, the son of God. And then the fourth witness, just in this chapter, if we get there, when Jesus is baptized by John the baptizer, he comes up out of the water and he hears a voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the dove descends, the Trinity. The Godhead says, that's him, that's him. Now you guys, I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys know all this, okay? You guys are fired up. But it's important that we have confidence in this day and age, that the people around you need to, like Mark, have people in their lives, like you, that are willing to stand in a difficult place and wear shirts that say Jesus is real or have a lifestyle <clears throat> that's different and have a message that might be tattooed not on your arm, but seen in your life. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Here's those two verses, one quoted from Isaiah and one quoted from the Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi, thank you. <clears throat> Verse two, he now testifies in puts it in, ver, uh, verifies it this way. As it is written in the prophets, quote, Malachi says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Two verses back to back, one from Isaiah, one from Malachi, separated by 400 years in time as they pen these. And now Mark's like, dude, you know what those two guys were talking about? 
They were talking about who? Two people. John the baptizer, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the messenger that would prepare the way for, capital Y, your arrival. Jesus is coming. How do we know it's Jesus? Because John the baptizer was prophesied. He would show up and make straight the paths for the arrival of the king. Now, in those days, in the first century and beyond that, when a king would show up, when a great dignitary would show up, they would do two things. They would go ahead and they would prepare the people. The king's coming, the king's coming, the king's, because you didn't want to be caught off guard when the king showed up, you know what I'm saying? And they would prepare the people and they would prepare the paths. They would fix the roads like they need to do in Newport. No, I'm just kidding. They would, I'm just kidding. They would, they would fix the roads, you know, and they would pave things and they would get the paths ready because when the king showed up, man, things gotta be looking good. And so these verses would strike a chord within their understanding. And so how did God prepare the people and prepare the path? He sent John the baptizer who was in the wilderness preparing the way. And look at his message, verse four. John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse five, then all of the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Stop right there, eyes up here. Wow, preparing the way for him. John the baptizer. And he came baptizing in this way, preparing the way for the people in order that they might find their path prepared. Interesting that he went out to Judea in the wilderness to do this and people just showed up. This is actually the mandate for you and for me in various ways to prepare a pathway and to prepare the people for the coming of the king. We need to do this. As a matter of fact, I was just meditating on this. Us going to three services this week, we're doing that, why? To prepare more room for people, to prepare a pathway. Why do we do what we do at all? Why do we have services all week long? Why do we abstain from certain things and repent and confess our sins like this? Because people need to see that Jesus is real because he's coming one day. And when Jesus shows up, the Bible tells you and me, you are watchmen. And if you're here, when Jesus shows up and you didn't tell people, their blood's gonna be on your hands. But if you tell people that Jesus is coming and they ignore you, then the blood's on their hands. It's not your problem. As long as you prepare the way and prepare the people. It's that imperative. And I don't want to put any guilt or shame or heavy weight on people, but this is why you're here right now. This is why you are alive, (gasps) breathing God's good air so we can prepare the people around us. I'm so privileged to be a part of a church that takes this seriously and is doing this. And men and women who every day say, okay, Lord, how do I do that? How do I go into the jails and how do I minister in the hospitals and how do I minister, how do I prepare the place for the people around me? He'll give you inspiration this year, won't he? He'll tell you exactly what to do. He'll convict you where you're wrong. He'll bless you and strengthen you. John the baptizer, what a cool study. Man, this guy's crazy. Is he not crazy? He's Jesus' older cousin. John and Elizabeth were his mom and dad. They were 700 years old when they had him thereabouts. Not true, but they were really old. This guy was raised in a senior center, man. He's kind of crazy. And, and God anointed him, and he came preaching. And the message he had was one of repentance. By the way, I just got to put this out there for you Bible note takers or thinkers. This would have been crazy. Because the Jews thought of themselves as the chosen generation, the chosen people. Someone would say, yeah, amen, they are. They're they're God's chosen people. They saw themselves as sons of Abraham. Yeah, they were sons of Abraham. They saw themselves as those who had the law given to them. Yeah, they did have that. They saw themselves as those who were circumcised on the eighth day, therefore accepted by God. They had four things going for them. Four things on the outside, Abraham's kids, chosen people, circumcised, they had the law. John the Baptist comes up and says, y'all need to repent. What? Why? Well, because the Savior 
is here to save sinners. Before Jesus came, they would indeed be saved by faith. They would be taken to Abraham's bosom if they had belief in God and lived according to his law in that way. That was the Old Testament way of salvation. But as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, you and I and them, all of a sudden, we're undone and we're like, whoa, I got the law. I know God. I have all these things. But you know what I really need to get to heaven? A savior. I need Jesus. See, you might know things and have done things you might not know things. You might not have been able to do things. I got good news for you. As long as you have a savior, you will be saved from your sins. You and I, Gentiles, the, the Jews who also get saved now. If you're a Jew, the only way to salvation now is through the King Jesus, to surrender to him. And John the baptizer came with, this would have been a controversial message. How offensive would this have been to a Jew in those days? Bro, I got Abraham's law. I got all circumcised. I got, all these, I got everything going on, bro. But you know what's good? God began to then stir in their hearts that it wasn't enough, that they were lacking. This is called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift for you and for me when the Lord leads us into his presence of provision and John the baptizer preparing the way for one to come. Come into the hills and be baptized. Now, when they were baptized by John in the Jordan, they still weren't saved. They had to be saved by the Messiah himself. But they were beginning that lifestyle of confession and repentance. Here's where it gets crazy. Look at verse six. It says, now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. I was reading that a couple times last night. Wild honey, this is the first century. Did they have store-bought honey anywhere? You know what? It was all wild honey. Mark gives a lot of details that are interesting. I mean, I don't even know. Your imagination probably goes weird with John the Baptizer. Everyone's trying. I love all the pictures and the movies we all see. And I was like, that's what you think? I don't know, man. But this camel hair idea. Most scholars believe that the camel hair wasn't like camel hair on the outside, but it was inverted. The camel hair was on the inside in order to kind of be abrasive to him because he was a prophet, a weeping prophet, a suffering prophet. And it was a lifestyle of focus on the Lord. And the way he wanted to be focused was to live sacrificially. He had a belt around him and he ate locusts and wild honey. Can you imagine seeing this guy at the farmer's market? He's got grasshoppers coming out of his mouth and wild honey. Maybe he was surrounded by bees just all over. He's like, oh, watch out. Here comes Jay the bee, you know. Johnny boy, you know. I would say this though. If that's true about the hair and it was harder for him, he made it kind of uncomfortable. I would just say this. If you do want to be one crying in the wilderness, if you are going to choose the path of ministry, if you are going to say yes to the call in any sort of way, it will not be comfortable. It won't. It'll be a sacrifice. You'll have to give up something. You'll have to suffer in some way. Not, not to earn salvation or to earn God's favor. That's not the point. But this is not our home. And we live in very precarious days on, on so many fronts. And I would just maybe encourage you right now, if there's, any, in, if there's anything in your life right now that's uncomfortable, man, it feels like it's uncomfortable, and, and you're living for Jesus. You're showing up early, you're staying late, saying yes to everything, the greatest ability is availability. And if there's any sort of discomfort, hey, that's not a surprise. Embrace it. Don't resist it. Now, it's the year 2024, the age of convenience, the age of technology. Okay, we live in the most comfortable age ever. The way you live, the way I live, the way we live right now was only reserved for kings back in the day. You and I can go to any grocery store in town. They can have any sort of produce in season, all season long. 
Only kings would have grapes and avocados in the same day. Only kings would have the things that we have. Indoor plumbing and air conditioning. Let me ask you a question. How many guys love to be comfortable? How many guys love to be comfortable so much it would be uncomfortable to raise your hand so you didn't raise your hand? Here, I'm too comfortable. I'm too comfortable. I love to be comfortable too. I'm not picking on anybody. Love it. But John's nuts. He's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live my life. It's not going to be comfortable. And so I want to encourage you, if you're married and it's uncomfortable, if you're raising kids and it's uncomfortable, if you're single and it's uncomfortable, if you're on the front line and it's uncomfortable, if you're abstaining from the world and it's uncomfortable, if you've given more than you needed to give and now it's uncomfortable, hey, embrace that. It's okay. John the baptizer, wanting to live his life perfectly for the Lord. And then John also knew in his humility, because there could be a danger there, couldn't there, of pride. I'm such a, look at my camel hair. Look at at verse seven. I'm about to fall off the stage. And he preached saying, listen, his message, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, as if he's saying, big deal. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a powerful prophetic message. John the baptizer, living in this suffering, living in sacrifice, listen, also knows who he is. This is so important. He's humble. He knows who he is, that he's not even worthy to touch Jesus' foot. And I would just say this. Make sure you know who you are. Make sure you know who he is. And then you won't get in the way you'll find yourself actually stooping and washing people's feet. It's important and imperative that we find ourselves serving the king. There's this verse in Luke 18 where Jesus talks about servants. And in the end of their day, their confession is this. We are unprofitable servants having done what we were asked to do. And I want to have that mindset of myself. Jesus asked me to do this. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. We will one day be delivered from this world. And we will one day be included in the inheritance of the king. And the comfort and the joy and the beauty and all that stuff, man, that's going to be awesome. But right now, watch out for pride. Watch out for an addiction to comfort. Be careful. And again, there's nothing innately wrong with those things. You don't need to live a life of masochism and hardship on purpose. But if you are suffering in any way, be encouraged by that. Notice also he contrasts his ministry. (laughs) I'm baptizing you in water. But the one who comes after me, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's going to actually change you from the inside out. I can make you wet. I can make you a muddy sinner. You know, I can get you under and get you back up. But Jesus is actually going to change you from the inside out. This is a prophecy. This is so encouraging to me. I baptize lots of people. We're doing baptisms, by the way. We're trying to figure out how we're going to do it at the church here. This many chairs. There's a baptism right there, but I don't think we could do 100 people on Easter Sunday there. The filtration system's not built, and so we're probably going to do something outside with outdoor music in a tent. It's going to be wild, so if you haven't been water baptized yet, man, plan on it. March 31st, I think is April or Easter, so that's coming up. Let's keep reading, though. I want to get a few more verses done. And it came to pass in those days verse nine, that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Stop right there, eyes up here, one thing. What's J the B doing? Exactly what God asked him to do. He went into the wilderness, not many details are given, but he was calling people out of their pride. You think you're Abraham's sons? You think you're okay because you have this? Brood of vipers. And he was calling out the Pharisees and calling people out. And people were cut to the heart. Ah! And they were getting baptized by the droves. 
camel's hair and honey sticks and grasshoppers, man. All this stuff's going on. And in that, all of a sudden, John looks up one day, whoa, and he sees his younger cousin, Jesus. Jesus shows up from Nazareth, walks all the way to the wilderness here. And I would just say this, it's a great day. When you're walking in obedience, doing whatever God has asked you to do, and Jesus shows up to your party. Jesus shows up to your family, shows up to your midst, shows up in your car. I was just doing the next right thing. Oh, and then what happened? Well, God blessed it. How did your business get so successful? I don't know. We were just generous and humble and, and faithful, and it felt like God opened a door, so we did the next right thing, and we just got blessed. Jesus showed up. Oh, really? Is that how it happens? That's exactly how it happens. Can I encourage you? If you do what God's asked you to do, expect Jesus to show up there in all of his glory. John just, I'm going to read it again. In came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth. Look at verse 10. And immediately he's baptized now. Coming up out of the water, Jesus comes up. He saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well. Please stop right there. Eyes up here. This is awesome. Jesus shows up. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was 30 years old at this time, living his life in obscurity, marginalized society, dial-up internet only, no Starbucks, suffering. And now at this perfect time, he comes and gets baptized at age 30, comes up out of the water in the Jordan, and as he comes up, the skies are parted, a voice ascends, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, and the spirit descends upon him. This other witness of who Jesus is, is he really the son of God? Well, when he got baptized, it was pretty legit. I heard voices, sky opened up, man, it was cray, cray. And when you walk in the obedience of God and do what he's asked you to do, expect God to part the waters for you, to open up the skies. Expect the Lord to speak to you and say, I see you. I see you. Nah, it's kind of hard what I'm doing right now, Lord. Jesus is about to go into a 40-day time of suffering immediately after this. And the Father says, I'm so happy. Really, because I was looking around and things are a little hard in my life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the book of Acts, right around chapter 22, maybe 21. And in 22 or 21, Paul's in jail. His beard has been plucked out of his face, blood on his body. His brothers hate him. The Romans hate him. It hasn't gone good for him. And he's sitting there by himself. And Jesus shows up in his cell and says, hey, Paul, you're doing so good. The way you just got beat up, that was legit. We filmed the whole thing, bro. <laughs> and I can imagine Paul like, you really think that was good? Because I'm bleeding everywhere. And the way Jesus sees your life of suffering, the way Jesus sees you endure is different. He sees you and he's proud of you. For what? For just standing there? Isn't it crazy that when Jesus got baptized and came up, he hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done anything. He's about to do a lot. He hadn't done anything. And what does the father say to him? So proud of you, son. What? He didn't even do anything. Listen, as I've been baptizing people over the years, it's become more sweet to me Sweeter and sweeter every single time. Because it's, it's a weird step of obedience. It's a weird one. God tells us what to do and what not to do. We know what to do and what not to do. There's all kinds of to-dos and to-don'ts, right? It gets you in trouble, get you blessed, you know, just stay on the path. Getting baptized is one of the to-dos. Hey, oh, you're a believer? You should get baptized. Oh, okay. Why? Because I said so. Huh. What else? That's it? Huh. Well, that's, that's interesting. You mean if I do this, it's going to please you? Mm -hmm. It's just between me and you. Me and you are going to be in that water together. 
And the Lord looks at you and says, I'm, I'm so, it's just me and you. There's literally no reason to get baptized. Like really, if you're kind of an ontological thinker, like what, what's I gonna do, what's I gonna do, what's I gonna do? Well, it's gonna make you wet. If you do it in the ocean, you might get eaten by a shark, you know, it's like, you know, sandy and cold and hypothermia. But there's no reason to do it, except he said to. And that's enough. And I believe it's one of the sweetest forms of obedience. He said to, I'm going to do it. And I believe the Father is pleased in you. Now, I say that to the legalist here, who are maybe trying real hard to get God's approval. Lord, did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? He sees what you did. He loves what you do. But I got up early and I read the Bible. That's awesome. Good job. Good for you. Good for you. Are you proud of me? I was proud of you before that. I love you. See, the Lord loves you regardless of what you do or don't do. He loves you, and he loves you even more when you simply just love him. That's the motivation. The love. Not the doing, but the love. And I would encourage you to be set free from legalism. Maybe even in your own life, say, well, Lord, is it, if I lay down in this water, I'm very vulnerable and good for nothing, and I'm just kind of identifying with you, and, and is that pleasing to you? It really is. It really is. Because when you're out of the water and working real hard, you know, doing, you know, doing things, and sometimes you get weird, and you get ahead of me, and you, get, you forget the whole deal. Your motivation isn't love anymore. Take that first spin, consider it. It is interesting also that Jesus was baptized. You and I need to be baptized for a number of reasons. There's obedience, he told us to. When you and I are baptized, we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, okay? Why did Jesus get baptized? I'll suggest to you two reasons. Number one, to identify not with his sin, but your sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that he might make us the righteousness of God. So when he got baptized, he was saying, I'm getting baptized for my sinning friends. You get baptized for your sins. He got baptized for your sins as well, not his own. But he didn't just get baptized to identify with your sin, and I'm so glad he did. He got baptized to identify also with his three-year-later death. See, Jesus came to die. He knew that from the beginning. The beginning of the gospel, he's going under identifying with death. This is so important because when he died, everyone's freaking out. No, no, no. Jesus said, no, no, this is, this is the whole thing. This is the whole thing. And when Jesus died, listen, he fulfilled his ministry. Every other cult leader and false teacher and weirdo, their ministries, their false teachings were disrupted and interrupted when they died. Buddha was killed, taken out. Muhammad killed when he died. Confucius killed. Mahatma Gandhi killed. Ah, they're dead. Jesus, when he died, that's what I came to do. Our savior is different. He came to seek and to save. Interesting, I love how he comes out of the water and the spirit descends upon him. We were baptizing people in the Jordan River last March. We were there with a group of 30 or 40 people. And we, raise your hand if you were there with us and got baptized in the back there, Mandy and Dave. and Anybody else here? Cece over there and, and a bunch of people and some people in the back there got, got baptized. Katrina over there. I was, Who's that person back there? Katrina back there. And as we were baptizing people, we were in the water for about an hour. I was cold by the time it was done. It was, so, it was our last night in Galilee. And as we were baptizing people, when we were finally done, I kid you not, not getting any of this up, it was crazy. We were there, Pastor Toby singing music. It was so powerful. Our guide, Nir, who's a Jewish man, he's not a believer yet. Pray for him. He doesn't believe in Jesus yet the same way we do. He was watching us the whole time. Whoa, this is crazy. And then when we were finally done walking out of the water, I kid you not, out of nowhere, guess what appeared in the tree? Out of nowhere, two doves. 
two doves that weren't there previously. They just appeared out of nowhere as the South Beach gang just got done getting baptized. It was such a special moment for all of us. And I say that to say this, the Holy Spirit wants to baptize you. This is what John the baptizer said. I'm gonna baptize you with water, but when he comes on, he's gonna fill you with the Holy Spirit. I think this is imperative. It's not something we just can do or should do from time to time, but we must be filled with the Holy Spirit for the things that we're enduring right now and the journey that's ahead of us. And I'm gonna ask Pastor Toby to come up because we're now at 925. And apparently there's a 10 a.m. service coming in hot. And as Pastor Toby is found, I'm not sure where he's at, but they'll get him. They'll bring him up here, the rest of the band too. I want us to consider what God wants to do in your life. I hope you guys are excited. Remember summer? It was yesterday. That was so cool. Sun came out. Remember that? I hope you got a little sunburned. It was so rad. Now the thousand day forecast is rain. That's okay. God is gonna shine upon your hearts in our church, even as he already has. As a matter of fact, would y'all stand up with me? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who knew no sin, that we, Lord, could become righteous because he would take our sin upon himself. And I pray in Jesus' name now as we, Lord, respond in worship and say yes and amen, take our lives. Lord, I pray special blessings on the inaugural 8 a.m. service, these guys and gals that obediently showed up. Just say, yes, do the 8 a.m., let's make room for the 10, Lord. Would you bless them and anoint them? Would you, Lord, keep them and guide them? Even right now, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Maybe you right now just put your palms face up or raise up your hands. Lord, would you just fill us with your Holy Spirit? And I pray that it would be evidenced, Lord, in your pleasure over us. That's it. That we would see ourselves as your little sons and your little daughters. And you would look at us as our Father and say, I'm pleased in you. I'm pleased in you because I'm pleased in my Son. In what He's done. It's not about you, Luke. It's not about you, Stu. It's not about you, Gary. It's not about you, Emma. It's about my Son, and you love Him. And I thank you for loving my Son. Thank you for loving Jesus. The truth of the gospel is the most important doctrine. The principal article most necessary is that we know this gospel of Jesus well. Teach it to everyone. Beat it into our heads. Jesus is real. And so, Lord, we repent in Jesus' name of any other gospel, of any false gospel, Lord, of any works gospel. And may we be liberated right now, even as Jesus came up out of the water and he heard that voice, this is my son, I am pleased, and the Holy Spirit anointed him. Would you anoint us right now in Jesus' name? Raise up your hand if you need that anointing. You want the Lord to be pleased in you, not because of you, but because he's pleased in Jesus. Lord, my hands are up to you. I receive it, I believe it. Would you set us free and anoint us with your Holy Spirit even now as we sing this song for your glory in Jesus' name. Let's sing together.